Hi, it's the host of your Mark podcast show, and today I'm talking to James Cloud, who's going to give you a little bit of a, about information about himself. Hi, James. Uh, you're going to give me a little bit of information about who you are and what you do. All right. Well, my name is James Cloud. I'm uh, old Catholic Archbishop and an Orthodox Bishop. I'm also a superior for the Order of Exorcists with the Advent International Catholic Church. Um, I've been an exorcist for approximately 27 years. And... Um, I've worked probably, I, I've never really kept count of the cases, but hundreds of cases over the years. And I typically have two to three cases per month that uh, I go out and assist with. Well, it's fine. I you also just... have a, uh, I should say I have a doctor of theology, Doctor of Divinity, Masters in Marriage and Family Therapy. I'm also certified as a qualified mental health professional as well as a substance abuse counselor. And I have the highest credentials in the state of Oregon um, that's equal with the highest credentials in the United States for substance abuse counseling. What inspired you to get into this? much got into this because I was thrust into it. Um, I've had the sight ever since I was four years old. Um, I was that kid on Sixth Sense that says I see dead people. (laughs) Um, And so for me, I went from a a very fear-based approach to the paranormal supernatural um, where things simply happened to me and I had no explanation for to being empowered and ordained to fight back and I like a good good fight and and that's why I do what I do I want to help others deal with the things they struggle with from a supernatural or paranormal standpoint and I want to help them find some peace in their lives. Have you ever been scared by a spirit? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, There's been many, many times um, that I've I've been uh, either surprised or scared or or something, but for me, when it comes to fear and the fight or flight response, I, I, I'm like an old bull, I just charge right into whatever the threat is and attack it. Um, I'm all fight when it comes to fight or flight, and so if I get scared, it just helps me do my job better because then I just buckle down and hit it like a Mack truck. Do you have a set method of um, before you do um, investigation? Do you um, bless yourself, or do you go into the surroundings and check it out first, or? Um, there are times I'll check it out, a uh, location or whatnot, but um, I usually go in 
feeling fresh right up from that moment so that I'm not being told anything extra uh, about the location. Uh, I'm, I'll pretty much have others, if I'm going to do some investigation uh, on the history or whatnot, I'll have them do the history investigation but not tell me anything so that I can go in uh, fresh and I can feel it as it as I feel it and, and, and experiencing it in real time versus uh, knowing the full history of a place or whatnot. Do you find that your other skills that you have help you as well? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I'm able to differentiate between a mental health uh, challenge or disability or even a substance-induced uh, psychosis, which would uh, look like uh, audiovisual hallucinations, delusions, and whatnot. I'm able to do a brief assessment on both of those areas because I'm credentialed to do so. And then once those are ruled out, then I have a better um, assurance that what I'm actually dealing with is paranormal versus explainable. Do you find that people get confused between bad ghosts and demons? Um, no. The, so, uh, I've been asked that from clients in the past if it was a ghost or a demon. And usually what I'll tell them is, is this. There's a, a, a real stark difference between a demon and a human heart. A human heart is in my experience of what's called a purgatorial soul. They're, they're a soul that is trapped or working through the things in their life that they didn't work through um, and are basically seeking out prayer. So what they do, they may let a person know they're there, but they won't hurt a person. You know, they don't scratch them, they don't hit them, they don't hold them down, they don't do anything else. You, you might see them, hear them, feel them, but they're not going to do any harm. The demon, on the other hand, is all about harm. Um, I'm, you'll hear them, feel them, see them, but then they'll also scratch you, hit you, punch you, um, pull hair, push you down flights of stairs, etc. Have you ever had to do an exorcisms, or do you do them on a um, regular basis? Um, could you repeat the question real quick? Do you, do you have to do exorcisms now and again? Yeah, uh, I have to do exorcisms quite often. Um, because I can do an exorcism of a location or a person, or both. Um, and so I have done, on average in this past year alone, probably three exorcisms per month on average. And so it's been very active, and you know I also oversee um, an exorcist and two demonologists in my order of exorcists and they've also noted that the cases they're getting is are more frequent as well as darker 
as the years go by. And so the, the case of exorcism happens quite often in, in this day and age. With some people that think the veil is becoming thinner. I think the, the veil has always been potentially thin. Um, I think the difference is people are exploring things that a lot of people in the past haven't been, and so they're opening more doors, um, opening themselves up for uh, potential attacks or hauntings. Um, a lot of folks are actively seeking out an interaction with an entity, and they're you know, it's like putting out a, a bullhorn and asking into the ether for someone, anything to respond, and unfortunately, most of the things that will respond are negative. Have you ever dealt with people that have had near-death experiences? I'm sorry, what was that? Have you ever dealt with people that have had near-death experiences? experiences um, I've found that sometimes that can open them up for um, to be able to peer into that veil uh, a little bit easier because um, they've already kind of crossed the threshold and came back and sometimes that can be a, uh, a, a potential cause for a haunting or a person that's uh, dealing with uh, entities. Well, you mentioned it because you may know or not know, I've had a near-death experience myself. That you experienced an NDE? Yes, I have. I, okay. I was in a coma for three weeks. And whilst, oh, I, was, wow. whilst I was in the coma... I heard a woman's voice I've not heard before or since and they told me to wake up and I had the most overwhelming feeling I've ever, ever had to wake up. I seriously believe that this was my spirit guide or guardian angel. I know there's scientific evidence out there that probably say that your mind was playing tricks and all that but I don't believe that. And also whilst I was in my coma I believe I was either in the real world or the next world and I think that I... I didn't. I touched my own version of heaven because I don't. I don't think there is a set heaven or a set hell. I think we have our own version of it. Could very well be, as far as um, divisions in in hell, especially. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, Dante's Inferno and the different depictions of um, what people's favorite, uh, shall we say, pastimes or, or sins were, um, become their own unique torture. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be too shocked if that was your guardian angel or... or another angel or another entity just reminding you, hey, time to wake up. You need to 
I've I've got a theory that um that um our ability to connect with the um UFOs, cryptids, spirits came from early man because early man had to be perceptive to his environment. And I think a little bit of that is still in us. And some people were able to trigger it off more than others. Would you like to tell people about it or not? It's up to you. And 
I'd noticed underneath the craft, there looked like there was interlocking um, frames, uh, almost like there would be stackable thin metal sheets that had different patterns on them, but they stacked on each other, so it made little patterns with it. Um, hard to describe, but then as I'm watching these three triangle, triangular craft in a triangle formation, they did a slight wobble and then shot from above our head to over the horizon within a second and disappeared. My, my parents and my grandmother didn't experience anything beyond that that they could recall from that night. However, for me, the first memory that came back for me was I remember telling my mother that I, I had a conversation with a silver robot guy, as I described him best I could as a four-year-old boy, saying, yeah, I talked to the silver robot guy, and he was really nice, and blah, blah, blah. And the memories began to come back in chunks. So, from the age of four to about the age of six, I had uh, what's known as a, du a duodenal ulcer. Right? So, a four-year-old boy had ulcers as a result of the severe stress of this incident. Um, the doctors were a bit baffled, but um, I was just really stressed out and my stomach acid simply burned holes down in my uh, stomach. So that's a, a different story, but that was one of the side effects of what happened that night. Um, my recollection of that night in its entirety is that I was sleeping in bed and I heard this large thrumming sound. It was um, like a generator going, but it, it had, had this uh, like a vroom, 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 vroom kind of uh, pattern to it. But it was deeper and it actually, I could feel it vibrating my body at the, from the percussion of it. And I remember getting up out of bed. My next memory is I'm standing in the living room and flying around me are Red, green, blue, and white orbs. Um, best I can recall, I would say there were several dozen uh, of these orbs just shooting around the room. And the front room was dark except for the orbs, which had their own illumination. And they were flying around, and as they flew around faster, the thrumming got louder. And once that... It, went into this crescendo, um, everything went silent and the orbs disappeared. Out of the center of the room, I noticed a, a gold orb began to form. And, you know, as a kid, a four-year-old, I had no point of reference. I had no, no reason to be scared at this point, you know, in hindsight. If it happened to me as an adult, I'd have probably messed myself and needed to change of underwear and skivvies and, you know, it, it would have been a, <laughs> a mess. But um, as 
a kid, you don't have any expectations, so you just kind of roll with it. Um, so after the, the gold orb appeared, it got larger and outstepped. Once it got large enough, it was slightly larger than me. Um, once it did get large enough, um, an entity, what some would call a gray, stepped out of the, the golden orb, except it wasn't gray. It, it had golden skin with uh, golden almond eyes. And it opened its arms, and it didn't talk to me with its voice. It spoke to me with its mind and said, James, come to me. Um, a memory that had come back recently about this was that I was walking with this entity. Um, I guess you, you would say in a different place. I'm not going to presume it, you know, the anal probes came out or, or, you know, I was walking on a spaceship or anything like that. But um, we were walking. I don't remember the conversation, but I remember that it was pleasant. Um, I remember standing in front of a large console that was silver, um, multiple lights on it, and uh, uh, a screen of, of some sort that took up the entirety of my field of view. Um, we talked, I don't, I don't know, it feels like it would have been 30 minutes, an hour, something like that. Um, and then I was returned. Um, no weird experiments, no nothing. Um, it was actually, in hindsight, as I'm looking at these memories, it was fairly favorable. I, I suppose it could have been much worse. Um, but from that time, my sight, I've been able to see the shadow people. Uh, I've been able to see deceased loved ones. Um, I'm able to, I will get place memories so I'll walk into a location and have what's called post-cognition. I'll see events as they happened in the past. Um, I'll also um, be able to feel the emotions of others in the environment or emotions that occurred in the environment. Um, I can sense entities at any given time and, and what alignment they are, whether they're good, evil, or neutral. Um, and of course it's worked out great as an exorcist because I can go in and quickly pinpoint exactly what's going on, what doors are open in a person's life, and then shut down the doors and shut any openings that uh, folks may have opened willingly or unwillingly. Can you tell me a little bit about your journey to how you um, did your training to be an exorcist? Because obviously people, you can't just go online and look it up, you know. Obviously you have to do proper training of some sort. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm not a Roman Catholic, so I, I wasn't trained at the Vatican or anything like that. Um, my father was a minister and he did deliverance ministry for a number of years. Um, and so I would go with him when he 
would have these uh, events, and I would be anywhere from the ages of 12 to 18, and I was really his uh, assistant, and we would go in, he would do his thing, and we'd go home. Um, but through the process, he taught me what to expect, what it looked like. Um, he also was instrumental in teaching me what personal characteristics I needed to have in order to do this type of ministry. Um, and so I, I was able to study at, basically at the feet of my dad and mentor, who was a, a minister, as well as later on to do further studies with um, the different Catholic jurisdictions, uh, private studies, uh, conversations with other exorcists on how to fine-tune my skills and, and really fine-tune and understand what exorcism is all about. And so over the past 27 years, you know, I, I started out pretty green and I got enough experience, let me tell you, um, over 27 years of this. So it's been a wild ride, but I wouldn't change it. Do you find that people may be a little bit skeptical what you do sometimes? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, you know what? Uh, honest to Pete, if, if I didn't experience what I've experienced, if I didn't know what I know, um, I would probably be skeptical too. I can't, I don't hold it against folks when they are skeptical because if you haven't, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, there's not much points of reference in a sanitized world for um, the supernatural or the paranormal. Well, I found that through talking to a various people I talked to in the paranormal, that um, they say it's virtually the same thing. They say it's quite good to have be a bit sceptical of what you're doing. Because yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Because I think I think that's important. Because you know, obviously you, you you deal with it more than I do, but I I think it's important that you've got to be a little bit skeptical when you go into uh, when you're talking to someone, like you said, because you've got to assess them as you're talking to them. Yeah. You're thinking, oh, are they on drugs? Have they got a mental health problem? Is there a dispute in the family? Those kind of things. skepticism um, you know if a person is dealing with um, mental health issues the last thing that they need is for me as an exorcist to be running around foiling my arms screaming demons are everywhere you know that that that's a good way to get a person committed um, and in the nut house but um, not a real good way to do business as an exorcist so I use a very um, plain approach to my uh, investigation piece of the, the actual 
reporting clients so that I can, you know, I want to know their mental health history. I want to know their family's mental health history. Is there uh, generational issues going on? Is there uh, generational substance use? Uh, were they affected at birth by substances? Were, you know, there, there are so many variables that need to be ruled out before I even get to the point of saying, yeah, I think you might have something bad in the house versus, no, I think you actually need some uh, therapy or maybe some substance counseling and I can refer them out to get the help they need from normal sources. Why not a little bit about mental health? Because I used to work in mental health and special needs and challenging behavior. I'm sorry, what was the question again? I, I, I used to, I do a little bit about mental health because I used to work in mental health, special needs okay. and challenging behaviour. I, I used to work with very severely mentally ill people, but I always used to find oh. they had moments of being quite lucid. And people used to, people look oh. at me when I say that, they think, surely not. I think, well, of course they have. They, they have moments where you can have... Yeah, carry on. Absolutely. You know, I've worked with schizophrenics. If, if they're on their medications and they're doing everything they're supposed to be, you know, even a schizophrenic can be quite lucid um, with the proper uh, support and assistance. I, I also think that... Um, that when, I mean, I, I've talked about mental health myself because I, I have mental health my problems myself. I have OCD, which I deal with daily, okay. and I, I've talked about it on um, a thing called World Mental Health Day, because I thought it was important to get it out there that, you know, hi, I'm Mark, I've got this problem and other problems I've dealt with, because I think people don't realise that you're, the best way to, there's no such thing as a cure, but the best way to deal with it is admit to it, and the, the minute you know you've got that problem, you you're the one that's dealing with it every day and as long as you're willing to accept the help you go on a good journey where you have less bad days than others definitely definitely and you know there's always symptomology um despite being on medication or in therapy um you know, myself, I have uh, attention deficit disorder. So, for myself, I, you know, I'll, it's humorous, but I'll chase those squirrels all day. You know, I'll have it on my mind to accomplish one task, and then ten other tasks pop up in its place, and I never get the original task done. So, I, I definitely understand um some of the things that go on with the symptomology um, and, of course, the outcomes and whatnot. Well, it, it, it's like I, I, I've... When I talk to people before about it, they say, oh, I've never had mental health problems. I look up and say, well, of course you have had mental health problems. Everybody in their life at one time has had a mental health problem. But they obviously might not have seen it or you may have missed it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
and sometimes, you know, from a therapist standpoint, you know, using my, my uh, therapist degree and experience, sometimes there's what's called normalized behaviors that come from their family of origin. Uh, normal expectation, I should say normalized expectations uh, about existence, reality, whatever, um, that to another person from a different family of origin may find utterly insane. But for the family of origin, it's completely sane and even uh, defendable from their viewpoint. And so... Um, that's where it gets into even identifying cultural or subcultural influences within families of origin. To, for, if I'm going to do a mental health diagnosis, I also need to know what are the, the undertones of the family. Um, if you know, every aunt in the family believes that they're psychic for, for any number of reasons, um, well, that may absolutely indicate for the next generation that maybe they're psychic. So, they may be psychic, they may not be psychic, but the belief that uh, psychic abilities are, are possible is a subcultural norm, uh, a normalized expectation of behavior, and therefore they wouldn't be diagnosed with a mental illness because they believe that. Um, however, if a person from a completely different background believes that nothing exists outside of the physical realm, um, and if they were to say, well, they think they're psychic, well, one, I'd need to see where it came from, but two, if it just came up overnight, there's a good possibility that there's a mental illness going on. So, you know, not every therapist is cut the same or from the same cloth. Um, and so that's, that's another piece to the investigative piece I do when I go in to a, a family's home or I'm working with an individual. I want to know what they believe and why they believe it so that I can differentiate between uh, explainable problem versus something that's outside of their realm of expectation. Just plugging my uh, my thing. It says I've got twenty percent. It's all right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that's my that's my plugging in bit. Uh, right. Um, oh, where was we? Yeah, da, da, da. yeah. Um, now, um, you. I know you deal with substance abuse and. Um, there's quite a little bit of misunderstanding information about substance abuse because people don't realise like you can be highly addicted on, on normal painkillers. Uh-huh. Huh? Yeah, um, yeah, go ahead. Because, uh, uh, well, years ago, I, I've, uh, well, before my mum passed away, um, she was given Valium by the doctor because she had an anxiety. And um, it made her quite, um, well, as you know, what Valium can do. And, sure. and I, I was glad that she came off of it because I don't think it was very good for her. I think it made her more hyper than normal. Mm, gotcha. Yeah, um, substances, you know, may or may not even 
be in the, the picture with a person's functioning, uh, depending on the type of medication or even the dosage. And um, so just because someone um, is on a specific medication or, uh, heck, they even prescribe some antipsychotics for simple sleep. And so these people are getting an antipsychotic medication just to help them get eight hours of sleep at night. So they actually are prescribing it for the side effect instead of the main use. It's just a strange, I just think it's a strange situation because, I mean, you can be on a, a I mean, I, I've been on um, my tablet for OCD for like, I don't know, God knows how many years. If I wanted to come off it, they'd just say, oh, um, well, um, you have to do it slowly, obviously, I know that. But but people don't realise that then you have to deal with the side effects because that tablet was basically, I suppose it's like um, a brick in the wall of your brain. Instead, the messages have been bashing against the wall and they're not going there. They've just been diverted a little bit. But suddenly the wall's gone. And they're going to come all flooding all at once. Yep. Yep. Um, especially for, like, uh, antidepressants. Um, the antidepressants are have to take time to reach their full dosage as well as uh, coming off of them because to immediately stop uh, a drug like an antidepressant um, immediately would throw the brain chemistry into uh, critical mode and they may get over uh, overly depressed or they might de- develop manic symptoms or some other type of symptomology just because of the, just a natural explainable brain chemistry issue that occurred as a result of medication change too abruptly. I also find that um, I've been dealing with um, I have a brain problem that I've, I've disco- that they discovered. I have small um, vessel disease of the brain, which affects my cognitive skills and memory. It's not like I have I haven't got Alzheimer's or um, dementia or anything like that because I, I'm considered lower grade. But I have various problems. I find it difficult. For people to understand it, because although they can see I'm functioning quite normally, I have I do have problems with I get very confused. I say words that aren't words, and um, I don't like being in different environments. If I get um, say I go say I was to go there and I didn't know where I was, I'd get more anxious and more confused because my brain would get in be getting out too much overload okay yeah I, I can definitely appreciate that that um, you know if you know you can broaden it out even from a mental health uh, view on that in that a lot of things people go through, others can't understand if they don't have any points of reference. They they will look at a person as odd or eccentric or um, another 
you know, descriptive term um, for that individual if they don't have any context for what's going on with that person. And so I absolutely can understand that um, you know, if, if there's confusion, if the wrong words are coming out, that um, others may misinterpret what's going on and put a label on it. I think it's made me slightly manic, not like fully like, hey, like that kind of manic, but I can get very productive. As, well, you may not know, if you look me up, I, I have done over, I don't know, 2,000 plus podcasts. Mm, but but I, I like doing it, and I, I, I'm, I, suppose, I suppose it's part of my OCD as well. But um, I, I just find it like this, like uh, I can talk to people like yourself, James, and we can have uh-huh. debates and interesting talks. I mean, one the debate I had, I mean, you may, um, I have, like, I like to talk, do, is I always like the debate, I like to have, a, I have this theory about God. Okay. I think God is schizophrenic. Yeah, because you think about it, we're supposed to be made in His image, and we're both sure. we're both good and evil. Because I know that we need both in the world. I think I think people will say, "Oh no, we don't need evil," but I think we have to have that clash in ourselves so that we can learn from our mistakes. with every part of his creation. Um, 
and we read even the rocks would cry out if no one praised him so even natural geological um, uh, material world has, has its own vibration that responds to the presence of God um, the, the real issue of the relationship and how that re- uh, correlates to the problem of evil in the world is you can't truly love someone if there's no other option at that point it's not love it's uh, a programming so the 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 reason why the devil exists evil exists our own poor human choices exist in the macro level at the biggest level going is really it boils back down to love we can't truly love god unless we also have the ability to hate god and so that's that's not only an amazing gift but it's also an amazing curse if used improperly so that's kind of where i come from with that i agree i think that's why we was given free will for that reason i think yeah, that but I think, like you say, we get like a little path. It's like we're down a little road, and we get these two choices. We get A or B, and we think, and it's up to us if we go down A or B. And people look up and say, oh, sure, oh, no, I, I, I think, no. At the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for your own choices. I know people are going to say that's wrong, but I, I believe that. Yeah, I believe that too. Choices, and we all deal with the consequences of those choices, whether good, ill, or if it just affects us, uh, our community, or our entire nation. You know, our choices dictate our future. Well, it's like the world at the moment is a strange place at the moment. I mean, I'm not too fine of this political correctness. I think it's going a bit too mad. I can understand why it started. Don't get me wrong. I can understand the process of it all and why it started. Sure originally because of certain things but i think it's gone absolutely stupid now i would agree to you know the the original reason for political correctness was to make sure everyone had a voice everyone was included everyone was on an equal footing with everyone else however i think political correctness and and the broader social programming that goes on is all it boils back down to another human attribute the desire for power and control if you control what people think how they think um, you put down any dissenting voices that may think differently um and it can go left or right or middle. I mean, it, it, I'm not calling any any side out. I mean, it, it is what it is. Um, it, it's really about psychological warfare, psychological manipulation, and to create the society that probably a, a few oligarchs uh, want to create. Um, you know, the, the more... 
I'm alive, the more I see, you know, George Orwell and, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the other gentleman, but basically the book's 1984 and A Brave New World, um, kind of meshing together to become our future reality if things don't change somewhere along the line. Well, I think we're getting very immune to violence, because... I, I don't I don't particularly blame video games or cartoons. I I blame I know this people are gonna think I'm a bit odd here, but the news. The most violent program you can watch on television is the news. Definitely. It's never sensitized like there is you know when you watch something on telly you say it's this program will contain violence or conflict or something of that description. But you never say that for the news, because you can get some horrific things in the news. I know that it's got to be reported, I can understand that. But I think you get slowly, the more they repeat it during the day, first of all, your initial shock is, oh my God. And then after that, about the second time or the third time, you just, oh, right. And then you, you switch off. It's like you said, like you said, we, we, I mean, on the radio over here, we're constantly hearing about Brexit and Trump. I mean, as I can say nearly every other night, it's one of those subjects continuously being brought up. Sure. I mean, I mean, I've got nothing against Trump. I think, basically, I think he's he, he used clever rhetoric. I think, I, I mean, I don't mean this in a nasty way or upsetting any religion of any kind. But I think he he learnt a little bit from the likes of Hitler. 
Because Hitler, Hitler was very... I, I think he's very intelligent. I think he learned from a lot of different <laughs> folks. Maybe even including Hitler, who knows. Um, but, you know, and even Hitler learned from others on how to be uh, charismatic and, and moving. Um, but I, I think to, to some degree... The previous U.S. president fomented such um, tension um, on different levels in the nation that Trump was kind of, so I, I'll say this, it, it was like the previous president created chaos. The, the one guy came in and he said, I know the cure, I have the, the, the fix to all of this. And just elect me, and we'll fix all of this chaos. And I think that's what got him elected. I think there's nothing wrong with that. We, we I mean, we, I mean, they've all got to no. say certain things. We, all, you know, that's what sure. politics is. Now, would you like to give any links that people can find you, or uh, if they, uh, uh, or follow you, or whatever? Yeah, we have um, a presence on Instagram. It's the Paranormal Research Investigators of St. Michael. Um, we also have a presence on Facebook. You can look up our page by the same name. And on that page, we have a link to our local website as well to see evidence that we've caught, uh, our team members, um, kind of our philosophy behind what we do. Um, and so both of those are great ways to get a hold of us. Um, yeah. Well, what do you, I've got another theory before we go. Now, I think that basically people... I've got a new theory about time travel. It's not very new. It's It's probably been said before. Because basically I'm time traveling now as we speak. Because it's gone 2 o'clock a.m. my side. So I'm in Sunday as I speak, mm-hmm. and you're still in the pr- past. Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. So, we are technically time travel. I know people say, oh, of course you're not time traveling. I don't mean in the sense that I've got in a TARDIS. Sure. Pressed the button, gone, hi, hello James, that kind of time travel. I mean, basically, we it's time travel in a way that we don't, and we don't really look at it that way. Very true. Very true, we don't. Well, as I said, I've got wonderful weird theories. I, I could talk all day about them, I won't. <laughs> now, <laughs> um, um, now uh, would you like... I, I normally do like a unique sign-off before I go. Would you like to do your own sign-off and I'll do mine? Well, I, I normally sing. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I could uh, sing. Um, let's see. Hmm. I know there's an old pub song that your listeners would probably know, and I'll, I'll probably screw it all up, but that's okay. Um, 
it's the parting glass. You know, don't to me the parting glass. Um, but I, no, actually, I won't sing it. I don't want to butcher it too badly. So um, I'll just say, you know, I hope everyone um, has a wonderful evening. If there is things going on in your lives that is unexplainable or paranormal in origin, there are absolutely people and organizations out there that can and are willing to help. Um, there are people that will believe you. Um, I know for myself, it was one of the most lonely feelings to go through an experience and not have people, especially as a kid, believe what you had been experiencing. And so I just want to encourage you, tell your stories, um, tell them to the appropriate individuals, and get the help you actually deserve. I'm doing so. I'm to do my bit now. <clears throat> Are you ready? I'm ready. Thank you, James, for being on my show. We had a nice chat, you know. I hope that people listen in and understand what how complicated life can be. But we can help him, you see. So good night, goodbye, and God bless you. Good night, my friend. Good night. You have a wonderful evening.